0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to a new episode of AI Literacy, your podcast about artificial intelligence. I'm your host, Anna regina Entes, and I'm here to make you become an AI literate. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our new episode number eight of AI Literacy about how a self-driving car learns how to drive. We're here today with Dr. Zakib Sarfas, who is currently working for Mercedes-Benz Daimler as a senior scientist in the field of computer vision, which is the AI technology that enables a machine to learn from images and videos. And At the same time, Zakib um, is uh, researching and teaching at the Cosrur Institute of Technology. So yeah, thank you for being here with us sure. for this episode to talk about computer vision and how it enables a vehicle to perceive the environment and eventually drive by themselves.
1: Yeah, thanks enough pleasure to be talking to you on this podcast and looking forward for our nice discussion. <laughs>
0: <laughs> of course. So we can already start off with you, yeah, talking about you. So mm-hmm. you have uh, experience in the field of computer vision for nearly two decades already. And you've started your PhD in computer vision back in 2004. And now you're working at Mercedes-Benz or, or Daimler and as a professor. So uh, can you talk us a bit through your path? Like what made you start your career in computer vision and research?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I think I was always very interested to Automate things. Right from my school days, I remember doing things to designing cars and putting motors in them, uh, playing with the remote controls. And when I did my bachelor's in engineering, I got this opportunity to 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 take some courses related to computer vision, so image processing and so on. And that was uh, motivation for me to go further. And I decided to then uh, jump into this area. Did my a research thesis for my master's also in the same area at the time i was very interested to know how a machine can recognize persons and so i was working for a long time in identifying persons you know detecting faces identifying doing these all these kind of fun stuff and uh, that was uh, sort of it. And then, of course, you get a lot of other opportunities to work. Yeah, in of
0: things. course. Yes. And yeah. how can we like imagine you doing a PhD in 2004 in computer vision? You know, um, On the one hand, we could think, okay, maybe uh, it didn't change much. There's just more computing power and, and more things are possible. But uh, how like, how was that? What did it mean to do a PhD when uh, no one really talked about AI as much as they do today?
1: Yes, partially true. I mean, at the time, uh, it was not that uh, popular as it is now. Uh, but a lot of people were doing computer vision, and it has a lot of applications uh, everywhere already. Uh, at the time when I, I started my PhD, um, uh, i think um, yeah, that's true that we did not have this uh, so called deep learning which is uh, now uh, another name for ai but at the time ai or computer vision was doing pretty much the same things as we do now with the deep learning so the deep learning has uh, is just is something that has accelerated it or has achieved better uh, you know performance in in the task that we were doing to that time but overall, it was like pretty active area of research even then also, and a lot of a lot of things that uh, people now ascribe to AI or deep learning were already being researched, even not even even much well before before my time in this area. I mean, it was in 90s. So I guess what may what popularized it was. Uh, well, actually, the factor of time, because with time, more compute and more data resources were available, and so we can actually you know, put this stuff to work. At the time, because of uh, hardware reasons or software uh, limitations, we were not really fully exploiting uh, what was possible. Um, so what changed, I think... It was this factor of uh, uh, availability of much larger compute resources or availability or access to much larger pool of data where we can do a lot more stuff than we were able to do at at the time.
0: Yeah, plus I think it got probably much more mainstream due to... uh... Things like, yeah, did you the news, you know, everyone is talking exactly. about AI or like Teslas everywhere. And, and it feels like in every uh, newspaper about uh, some new, uh, well, uh, new thing on the technology side. Mm-hmm. It's all about autonomous vehicles and when we are, and electric vehicles, right? And when we reach that point uh, where this will be what's con- consumed by the mass, right? Exactly. And uh, yeah, so in general, for you, like your decision to to do computer vision, that's that's clear. Like we understand where it comes from. But um, when did you decide to go into AVS? Because you know you did research on so many different things in computer vision. Like for example, about um, yeah research in uh, epilepsy on on patient behavior or uh, like movement on CCTV, like in like nighttime surveillance. Um, Combined with thermal data, you know, you did so many different things, and uh, in the end, your focus is a bit more on AVs right now, since you're working for for, uh, Daimler and Mercedes-Benz. This is what it seems like, but yeah. maybe, uh, yeah, maybe you can uh, do, you can like tell a bit more about yeah your research and when did you decide to go into AVs?
1: No, right. I mean, uh, of course. Um... I think I consider myself someone who is working in general in, in in the topics of research topics or or bringing the technology forward some niche areas of AI, some solving trying to solve the problems that we see. Uh, autonomous vehicle is just one very exciting application of all of that technology, right? The same technology is used everywhere else also, and even at Mercedes-Benz or or at Daimler. Uh, uh, I'm doing a lot other stuff than putting or than helping in autonomous uh, vehicle or autonomous driving uh, technology. So the AI techniques and all that stuff, how to interpret uh, images, how to do perception, right? And that has a lot of applications. And autonomous vehicle is one very exciting application, I think, which where you immediately see uh, a very large, a huge impact. And I remember, I mean, from my childhood days, even there were these TV shows, old TV shows like uh, what was that? That uh, car, uh, you know, aut- autonomous car that would uh, drive itself. It was a show in 80s, I guess. I don't <laughs> so, know. I wasn't there yet. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I acknowledge I am a lot more older, probably, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, but that that was like one of my favorite shows at the time. You know that that there was this. Uh, I think we have been dreaming this uh, for a long time. Uh, this was such a futuristic things that a car will be able to, you know, uh, come out of the parking zone itself when we call it, and then it is driving itself and so on. So so it's it's just very exciting, very fruitful, very you know fulfilling application for what I'm doing for the, the things that I'm doing right so so i think partly that might have you know played some role in my decision to to be working closer to this application area
0: i mean i guess it sounds logic it's still for me it's also a trigger to to imagine okay when will be the time when we'll actually not drive anymore and when we'll think back and think it's crazy that people were driving uh, i don't know a vehicle that that weighs tons and can like i don't know kill someone or cause accidents, you know, I think in a, in a couple of decades, we will think back and, and think, oh gosh, how could we even let people drive a car? But <laughs> uh, I agree, it's really exciting. And uh, to, yeah, to explain now to our listeners a bit more about how a car can or will even uh, achieve to be a self-driving one, um, I want to speak about with you about the basics of autonomously driving cars. Sure. So, um for a car to drive by itself without a person behind the wheel, the car needs to be able to mimic what the human would be doing if the human was sitting in the car, right? So like seeing and understanding what's what's happening around it. And uh, we can imagine this as like, as, like, a process, so in the beginning, the car is, um, on the streets, mapping out, uh, the surrounding, or, like, or, or using sensors, and, and cameras, and lighters, to, to map out where it is, right, and then once it knows where it is, it perceives what's around it, like, what's moving, like, pedestrians, or vehicles, you know, other vehicles, and then it predicts, um, what those actors in the surrounding, are going to do and plans how to react right and this process is repeated several times per second and this is how the car basically is like the process how the car learns how to drive by itself but now in this process like looking a bit more into those steps um different types of data um, are collected and used right um can you explain to our listeners what type of data exactly is used to train the machines in autonomous vehicles and why one or the other type is maybe more or less important and how they play together to improve the performance of the machine.
1: Yeah, before I I explain this, I think you were absolutely right about um, uh, the observation and prediction part. And uh, if you think a bit more about it, and that's precisely how humans also learn, right? If you, there are actually neuroscience studies uh, babies how do they develop all the perception skills and motor skills at what stage of their age and and actually the essence of intelligence is observation and prediction and that's what the the neural networks also try are at least trying to mimic that's how our brain functions that how that's how our brain develops a model of the world and allows us to really see things and decide on on things and that's precisely what neural networks also trying to mimic, you know, observation and prediction. And now coming uh, back to the the data part. So what do the neural network has to observe in order to predict precisely where the car is, where the the pedestrian is, right? Uh, so the primarily for autonomous vehicles, autonomous driving purpose, uh, primarily I think there are a lot of other sensors but the two most important modalities of uh, of or sensing modalities are uh, cameras and and radars right and for autonomous vehicle the radar is basically called a, a, a lidar because it sends out lasers so l is, is for laser uh, and then that's how it maps uh, and it knows uh, how, at what distance you know some object is so so using the lidar modality you can this Using this, you can develop a 3D scene, you know, and and see the obstacles and, and know at what distance they are. Similarly, with cameras, uh, it gives you the the images, normal images, <clears throat> the photographs of your scene, and then the neural network can interpret those images, right? It and all of this together uh, is what is making the main you know source of data for training such autonomous driving vehicles. Uh, so so this data has been collected uh, for many many uh, long periods of time so their autonomous driving did not just start you know out of nothing it it has been going on for the past almost two decades now uh, i mean i remember when i was i was starting my phd you you asked me what was it like then so i remember the very uh, the very first conference i think it was in 2006 or so in berlin and uh, sebastian thorn who is a very well known scientist and he was at the time uh, director of AI lab uh, at stanford he gave this talk where they participated in DARPA challenge on autonomous driving in 2006 you know and they won the challenge so they have to drive their car autonomously for about 1000 i think uh, don't remember exactly but it was like a lot of hundreds of kilometers on a stretch road mm-hmm. and using not deep learning just computer vision so, no, so, so, you know, that's how long the history of autonomous driving, and that's that's how this data is being collected and used to learn these systems. So it is not happening overnight. And now that a lot of cars have sensors on it for many, many years, they have been collecting real-life real driving data, right? All those situations uh, one might encounter while you're driving the cars. So, months of years of data is available now to train these systems and uh, so that's probably why you see that it's now gaining speed to bring this technology on roads because of the availability of this very useful real, real world data that we have from these sensors
0: yeah I think most people don't even realized or know it, but like it's actually like you're saying, every single car that's being purchased now, be it an e-car or uh already a bit at, like autonomously driving, they all like either they have cameras or sensors or mm-hmm. anything that collects the data and that's being sent to the car producer right to the to the that's company right. so they can improve the performance of their machines in the future. so basically, by purchasing a car, now we are contributing, every consumer is contributing exactly. to, to the research, right? That's Debated. precisely
1: yeah. the, the, the case, yes. And yeah. that's also very, you know, a, a good motivation to trust these systems because you are actually training the system not on simulated data in your labs, but you are re- actually really trying uh, train, understand those uh, situations or conditions that one may encounter you know in real life driving scenes Yeah, different absolutely. roads different weathers different cities different geographic locations so that's all is very very i think uh, promising for for this uh, technology
0: yeah absolutely so yeah you were you were talking or you were touching on on deep learning and neural networks so uh, to to explain all of that a bit more detail with to our uh, to our listeners yeah i want to look a bit more like a uh, closer at the the perception part of the car car. so like uh, the eyes of the car, we can say, the cameras. And um, for the computer inside the self-driving car to learn how to recognize objects in their surroundings, for example, let's say, um, I don't know, a red traffic light or, or a stop sign, for example, um, they need to be trained, like you said, with vast amounts of examples, which they get from uh, the consumers, from the people who purchase cars. Um, and the essential technologies for that are deep learning and neural networks, right? Can you explain in simple words what deep learning is and and what a neural network does to achieve that a computer learns how to recognize objects in like videos and, and images? And yeah, maybe you could give an example, uh, mentioning what happens in the different layers of the neural network.
1: No, sure. I mean. Uh, uh... I think from a very abstract level, what is neural network? It's basically inspired from our own biological neurons in the brain, right? So so the neural networks try to simulate what our brain is doing uh, through layers of artificial neurons, right? So this term artificial neuron, what it is, it's very simple thing. So, but before I go into explaining what an artificial neuron look like, uh, I would just say that overall, what the neural network is doing is basically is learning to, Map some input to an output, right? So basically, it learns a mathematical function that uh, you know map, maps an input to an output. An example would be, for example, an image of a person to who he is, right? Or uh, a video of a person to what he is doing. So that kind of mapping has been learned be, being learned in this neural network. Now, with how it does it, uh, what is a new artificial neuron? Right now, it's not very close to what our biological neuron would look like because nobody actually uh, really understand it, understands it well, how it does it look like. So right now, what we are, our artificial neurons, what they are, is a very simple function. Mm-hmm. It's multiplying your inputs with something, some numbers, and ad- adds it to produce an output. So to understand it better, I mean, imagine um, a paper which is half black and half white, right? And imagine that we want to detect the boundary between white and black side of them. So that middle line, we want to automatically detect it where it is. So how would a computer do it? So first of all, computer sees an image as numbers, right? So, so black is zero and white is one, but we want to detect this middle boundary between them. So, um, I mean, a very simple way to do it would be just multiplying every position in that place with three numbers, one, zero and minus one. Imagine numbers, 1 0 and -1 now you put this 1 0 -1 somewhere on the black part right so and just just multiply this 1 0 -1 with whatever wherever you place mm-hmm. it since it is when it is all, only on the black part so one will be multiplied with because black is zero you know so one will be multiplied with zero is zero zero is zero, zero multiplied with zero is zero -1 multiplied with zero is zero so when you Multiply and then add it. You get a zero, right? Now do the same on the white part with the same one zero minus one string of numbers. You know the the value of white, as I said earlier, it's one, right? So when you multiply one with one, it's one. When you multiply zero with one is is zero. When you multiply minus one with one, it's minus one. And when you add, it's also zero, right? So no matter wherever you place, if you place this one zero minus one on black part or white part, you are going to get zero output. Now imagine you are moving this one zero minus one point by point from left to right on that paper. So when your zero is exactly on the boundary, then your one is falling on the black and minus one is falling on the white part. And Now when you multiply it, you get value of one. Right, so everywhere in that piece of black and white paper, you are going to get zero, but only you'll get a value one only on the boundary. So, that's so with this simple three number arrangement, we defined an operation that is detecting now because it is only going to give you one right on the boundary, right? So, what I just described this one zero one in computer vision, sometimes it's called a filter. Right, and this is like a neuron. This operation of multiplying and adding it. So 1, 0, min- minus 1 are weights, and you multiply your input, which is your paper, you know, 0, whatever values it has, and you add it, and then you produce an output. Yeah? That output is detecting something. So what I just described here is a classic computer vision example because I defined myself this 1, 0, minus 1 operator, right, to detect the boundary. This is classic computer vision, engineering These mm-hmm. what should be these values so that to detect something. For example, in this very simple example, we were detecting boundaries. You can also detect anything else, right? So what neural network is doing is that it is trying to learn these, what should be the numbers that should be multiplied so as to detect. So we are not defining the numbers, but neural network is going to learn it. So how is this going to learn it? We are going to show you here some examples of this white and black, you know, a page with half black, half white, that would be our example. And we know that the output should be just one line in the middle, right? So that's our output. And then there is a neural network. Its its job is to learn this three numbers that it's going to multiply such that, you know, it should only be one when it's on the boundary. So we don't need to define it, but the neural network can learn it from examples. And so there is like much uh, better ways, or probably more, uh, you know, um, deeper ways to explain the whole thing, how it's going to learn. But let's not, uh, you know, go into that complexity right now. But the the important thing to know is that neural network has a lot of such things to learn, a lot of such filters to learn. Yeah and it learns then all kinds of things, not just boundaries, but also boundaries that are oriented, you know, also uh, some other shapes like squares or circles in the in, in your scene. Yeah? But in the end, it has to do much higher reasoning, right? It has to learn the concept, how a wheel look like, how a traffic light look like, how a person look like. So it's not going to do that only with one set of, uh, you know, filters that, that are operating directly on your image. You need to combine the output of your uh, direct operation on images, then again with some set of filters. So that's where the layers, the concept of layers or levels comes in, right? So, neural network has, is doing it, learning these filters or these numbers at a lot of different levels, you know, and as it forms a hierarchy, much like our brain functions.
0: Mm-hmm. I think the black and white example of the paper. Gives a very good uh, simplified way of understanding. Okay, how is it then working for uh, more complex objects? Right. Mm-hmm. But now that we understand how the machine like perceives and maps out the environment, uh, we move on to the to the next part of the process, the the prediction part. Right. Um. So, how um how a machine basically predicts uh what's going to happen in the surrounding, for example if a person is going to cross the street or um, if there's an animal or anything else that can be uh, predicted. Right. So it's, it's about um, um, foreseeing the behavior on the streets or Mm -hmm. how to, to classify intent. Right. Um, How can a machine predict, okay, this person on the street uh, on the right is now going to run because the bus is coming on the other side and uh, this person
1: wants to catch the bus, you know, even a human doesn't know. No. So, i think it 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 learns the same way that we would decide right that's what we are trying to mimic always from the data right so so how to how to classify an intent so how do we classify an intent so we are driving a car and some person is uh, you know standing on the road looking on in the direction uh, and then uh, it's very near on the edge of the road so we would probably say that okay this person may you know cross the road now, you know, depending upon our speed and our distance to it. The same way neural network can learn it, and it's very active area of research, is called uh, behavior or intent prediction, right? So, we have this example, and the neural network can actually recognize very accurately the pedestrian, the person, and also the pose of his body, you know, and then based on this, you can then, you know, predict an intent that he is going to cross or not, and in most cases, uh, I mean, it's not 100%, 100%. Right now, we can rely on the, the intent prediction solely for the machines. But in most cases, it's good enough to signal the control back to the driver, right? Or brake or slow down the car, which happens.
0: Yeah, okay. So I think uh, for for what we can or what uh, humans uh, imagine, if they think, okay, this is a self-driving car, no way this machine is able to to know what's out of nothing going to happen because even humans have difficulties i think this is something where where there's still a trust issue probably and i think it's also for many consumers hard to imagine that they will actually become better than the humans and reacting faster or yeah right because they have just seen more examples and are able to predict faster how the intent or how to classify the intention of um something on the streets right so, um, looking a bit more into yeah, into into the future. So sure. this research area is um, moving extremely fast, and uh, more and more features are step by step being rolled out to the fleets of the like to the cars we are sitting in and we're purchasing now. Um, like for example, line detection, right? When you when you're driving on the highway or or parking help or things like that. Um, just to to. Still, look a bit into what the companies, what risks the companies are facing, because I mean, if we look back, um, like the beginning, the beginnings of autonomous vehicles at at Mercedes-Benz Daimler, uh, go back uh, almost thirty years, so. Um, Mercedes-Benz S-Class, for example, already in 13 had completed a ride fully autonomously. And, uh, in general, in the past years, many big car manufacturing companies have already announced their plans to roll out, um, autonomous vehicles yeah. or like self-driving skills in the close future. But after having invested billions of dollars and in time, those big players, have often or like mostly postponed or, or taken back their plans, because in most cases, they underestimated the complexity and all the risks of self-driving cars that are involved. So can you maybe um, tell us a bit about what the biggest risks are and what the companies, um, what limits are those companies facing that hinder them to roll it out? You know, um, we could think of, Hackers, for example, you know, I don't know if you remember, but one and a half months ago or two months ago, we had Facebook shut down for eight hours, you know, out of nothing. And if Facebook's down, probably no one is going to die, right? But if, uh, I don't know, a Tesla or or a Daimler self-driving car software is shut down, this can cause uh, damage, you know? So uh, these are risks. But yeah, so overall, what's like the reason why it... Takes more time to actually be rolled out to uh, to the fleets.
1: So I think uh, it it feels so because of uh, some of the media hype and uh, some some of the big car companies CEOs uh, over promising. You know their promises are based on solely on technology. Uh, but it also depends on a lot of other factors. You know, who is going to pay the insurance when your self-driving car is going to hit something? Or how the, um, are the roads really there where a fully without a human, a car would drive? You know, so all these factors uh, are quite important in, in slowing down to bring the cars in, onto the roads. But actually what is happening is that the, the car, this technology is being brought step by step, you know, progressively. So there is a, is a society of automotive, uh, you know, engineers who have dis- defined these level of self-driving, you know, it starts from level zero with nothing, no self-driving features. Then level one uh, is, is basically basic driver assistance, you know, which we have already been seeing, I think, in all of our normal, cars Mm -hmm. and then level two is partial automation so which is uh, basically the very first autonomous driving features uh, the vehicle would perform but the human is still monitoring all of it so where the real automated driving starts is now from this level two to level three so level three is is what is called conditional automation Um, and where vehicle can perform you know most driving tasks like lane changing or accelerating or braking itself and uh, human is there and similarly level four then becomes more advanced where you know it's you have uh, high automation and but the human driver is still there so the level five is something in the far future where no human would be there right so where the car is doing itself now this all these levels are where and if just so that your your listeners understand most of the autonomous driving vehicles that you see right now on the roads are level two you know, even the Tesla is registered under level two In in some cities it is operating under level three features. Actually, Mercedes-Benz is the the first who got uh, approval in producing vehicles of level three driving. So the switch to level four now uh, would be where uh, you have more automation. So most of the things, most complex scenarios, cars are driving, but it's not right now there. So think you, you asked me what are the things that are, you know, hindering big companies to roll out. So, so these are the things, you know, you need to get these approvals to to bring this technology on the roads, uh, and then the consumer have to trust it, you know, so you cannot just say, okay, here is a level five driving, which is without human, you just take it and drive. So there are many practical issues in doing so. Mm-hmm. So there are like some companies who are trying fully autonomous things, but on geofenced areas right meaning that on some predefined areas where no other vehicle is around but on general driving like us that's right now at level three and it will very move slowly so, so b- despite all the big promises like which many manufacturers are making i mean uh, realistically speaking even the switch to level four is not possible i don't see it in the next five years or so and i will see i see it not because the technology is not there, technology is there, but all these other factors are not there, right? So so it will happen, but it will happen slowly, and that's also a good way for it to happen. I mean, it's it's not just the approval and all these things and the technology, but the thing is that these things happen with evolution. Of so course. It's much like when we switch from horses to, to vehicles, right? Uh, we build roads. Now we are switching from these normal vehicles to autonomous vehicle. Our roads will have to be adapted, and they will be. You'll see that that there will be the roads which are you know facilitating the autonomous driving. Yeah, you know, that there will be smart roads. So all this thing will take time to happen. So eventually, this is going to come progressively, steadily. But I I see currently it's at level three or level four. Probably in the next five years we'll see some level four. Uh, driving in some for taxi services or things like that because technology is there. And for level five, where there is no human and to be trusted by all general public, that will happen in time. it it requires a lot more than we think right now
0: yeah of course so there's actually um there's like an estimation from from a recent mckinsey study Mm -hmm. um where they are predicting that autonomous cars might account for up to 66 percent of um passenger kilometers driven by 2040. um would you Mm. say this is a realistic time i mean you would say you said that um yeah it's probably going to affect first like services like taxis or like the food delivery right um when do you think approximately is this going to like the fully like the last level of autonomous uh driving autonomously driving cars going to be reached
1: i mean in my realistic estimate is not going to happen in next 20 20 20 years mm-hmm. 15 20 years after that i mean it that not i mean i i i can't i can't stress it more but i mean i'm not saying this because the technology or research is not there exactly. research is there mm-hmm. yes sure it is there but driving autonomously, you know, everywhere, not just on prescribed area is something which require a lot of other things to change. And those are the things that are going to delay it. Like I said, the mm-hmm. roads needs to be evolved and evolution doesn't happen in, in months. It happens in many years. I would be very surprised if it happens much earlier than that.
0: We'll see. I'm excited to still experience it <laughs> to be uh to be able to drive a fully autonomously driving car um <laughs> thanks a lot zakib for for all those um really really like great examples and explanations for our listeners to imagine how a self-driving car learns how to drive i hope you enjoyed it take care and yeah stay all healthy thanks a lot Zakib. thanks
1: anna uh pleasure is all mine and uh Also, thanks to your listeners who have been listening to it patiently so far. (laughs) Uh, I hope you have a good day.
0: If you've enjoyed listening to this episode and want to learn more about AI, make sure to subscribe to AI Literacy on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your platform of choice. Thanks for being with me today, and I can't wait to share other insights on AI with you and help you become an AI literate.